Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode... The Secret Life of Howard Hughes. It all kind of begins in 1966 when he had this iris implant. And so he started changing his appearance in 1966. At that point, he was married to a lady named Jean Peters. And Jean Peters, according to the books, never saw him after 1966. If you want to support my work here at Strange Planet, please consider becoming an official donor. It's easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several donation tiers to choose from, from a dollar per month to $50 a month. For the month of December, new donors at the $10, $20, and $50 per month tier receive a free mug from my Strange Planet shop. Donors in the $20 tier also have their names appear on a crawl 
during the YouTube live stream of my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show. And donors in the $50 tier receive a special on-air thank you on my radio program. Whatever you give, your support helps keep my radio program and this podcast going. Help me pursue the truth wherever it leads. Patreon.com forward slash Strange Planet. Thank you and God bless. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Well, hi there. We are counting down to Christmas here at the Serrett household. Our artificial tree is supposed to be delivered today. Yes, you heard me correctly. I lost the debate, the great real tree versus fake tree debate. I wanted a real tree, but I was overruled by the rest of the house. We're getting a white artificial tree delivered, already strung with lights. Why not? All Christmas cards are now delivered via email. Next year, I anticipate all the Christmas packages will be delivered by drone, and our children can go sit on a robot Santa at the nearest box store. Makes me want to run away and become a Mennonite. Who's up for a good barn raising? Uh, Mark Music, the co-author of Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes, is standing by with a remarkable story. He'll reveal, among other things, the reclusive billionaire's links to the murder of mobster Bugsy Siegel and the killers of President John F. Kennedy are revealed, as well as the real identity of the long-haired crazy man that Howard Hughes placed in the Desert Inn Hotel to distract the world while he escaped. Eva McClelland kept her secret for 31 stressful years as she lived a nomadic existence with a man who refused to unpack his belongings for fear he would be discovered and have to flee. Only her husband's death finally released... Only Hugh's death in 19... Only only her husband's death finally released her to tell the story that had been burning inside her for decades. Now, the world believes that Howard Hughes died on April the 5th, 1976, at the age of 71, and that he was using the alias of John T. Conover when his body arrived at the morgue in Houston, Texas, on the day of his death. But the world may have to change what it believes about Howard Hughes after listening to my next guest, who is about to lay out some incredible evidence that Howard Hughes actually lived to be 96 years old and died as recently as 2001 uh, in Alabama after assuming another man's identity in uh, 1969 and installing a mentally deranged drug addict imposter in his place. Howard Hughes supposedly was married to one Eva Renee McClelland for 31 years. Here to tell us all is Mark Music, who is a retired Nebraska Air National Guard Major General. Mark dedicated over a decade to uncover this story, which he never expected nor sought to tell. Mark Music, how are you? Well, I'm fine, Richard. Thank you for having me. So let me go back to the beginning. First of all, uh, this is... Uh, history-changing information. I remember as 
I would have been 12 years old in 1976. And uh, so many historical events I remember watching on my mother and father's TV set in their bedroom. I was sitting on the corner of the bed when they discovered or when they flew a very emaciated looking Howard Hughes or the person we thought was Howard Hughes. I can't recall where they landed, but uh, he was uh, like in a, a medical um, helicopter or plane. There he was on the gurney, and of course he died a short while later. And now we're learning, of course, because of your research, Douglas Wellman's research, that that wasn't Howard Hughes who died in 1976. That's where the story begins. But let me go back a little bit further. You were in the National Air Guard in Nebraska. I mean, that's about as far from Howard Hughes' world as uh, you know I can imagine. How did you get involved in this remarkable story? Well, that's a good question. I worked for a nonprofit organization, and I met a lady. Um, her name was Eva McClellan. She lived in Alabama, and she wanted to leave some property to the nonprofit. And so I talked to her several times on the phone in 1999, 2000, and I knew her husband was getting up there in years, and I knew he had died in, uh, in November of 2001. I met her January 2002, and she started relaying this story to me that I thought was just absolute lunacy. It, it was total, total craziness. And her story was that she was married to Howard Hughes and he had just died in 2001. And I, I, I thought it was, it was, nothing could be true of this story. But as I listened to her over months and years, nothing ever changed. No details, no, no, um, information, no dates, no nothing. And then I thought, well, I'm going to start to research this thing and found out that what she was telling me was confirmable. It was all confirmable. And the story was that she met a, a tall, handsome man in 1969 in Panama, where she was working at that time. And she did not know who he was. He was using the name of Nick Nicoly. He had the idea of a, a man named Werner Nicely, but he was using the name Nick and he would just disappear. Uh, she wasn't sure where he went. They became engaged in March of 1970, and they were married in May of 1970. Did she know anything now prior to him revealing his identity? Uh, did she know about Howard Hughes? Did she know what he looked like? Um, well, Howard Hughes, of course, was in the news at that point in time, going back and forth from a long-haired, long-fingernail, drug-addicted, bedridden, 90-pound man to a man who actually uh, had meetings with the president of Nicaragua, um, the governor of Nevada, and things like that, and they described him as a commanding man. Yeah, we should just explain the discrepancy there. You're right. I mean, towards the end of Howard Hughes' life, or who we thought was Howard Hughes, we have to keep uh, throwing that proviso in there, but the idea was uh, we were told that he was uh, living uh, at the, uh, in the penthouse of the, is it the Desert Springs Inn in, uh, in Nevada, Right, right. And uh, was surrounded by, you know, very controlling people and uh, was, a, you know, an absolute germaphobe and had, again, long, scraggly hair, fingernails. For those that have seen uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Aviator, uh, that's sort of the depiction, the, the depiction towards the end of his life. But at the same time, we were getting reports in the media that, no, Howard Hughes is having meetings. He's conducting business. He's, you know, he's just as we remembered him, very dapper and and uh, you know together, very lucid. So we were having this these conflicting reports. And and he actually changed his looks. 
he lightened up his hair. He lightened up his hair, and he actually had surgery that he had uh, iris implants, blue implants, uh, implanted in his eyes. That was 1966. So he looked different. He really didn't look like Howard Hughes. But if he went to these meetings, he could make up to look like Howard Hughes again. Interesting. Did they have that technology to, to uh, iris implants in the late 60s? It was experimental. Ah, okay. Well, totally he certainly had the means. He had the means. Yes. yes. But he could buy anything he wanted to, and he bought himself another identity. The identity that he took was a man working for the CIA who basically disappeared uh, in the late 60s. We have no idea what really happened to him unless he's living under some other identity. But he was five foot eleven. The identity that he took was a man who was five foot eleven. We have all of his military records and medical records and things like that. So now we have five foot eleven, a man who's now six foot four, and it, it, it just doesn't it doesn't uh, all add up. Right. Howard Hughes was six foot four. Correct. And his alias, the late uh, Nick Nicoly, uh, former CIA operative, was five foot eleven according 11. to his records. Correct. Okay. So. Correct. Um, Eva McClellan meets this uh, gentleman down in Panama in the late 60s. They they are engaged and they marry in 1970. And then then what? When does he? When does she start to suspect that he is not who he says he is? Right at the beginning, she begins to put the pieces together, and it t- it took her because there's things that he did or things that he said, and and it took her about uh, two to three years, and she knew who he was at that point. And then he finally revealed it to her in 1975 is when he finally revealed it to her. And after that, uh, he, she could ask him anything about flying the, flying the Hercules, about he talked about his childhood. Um, she could ask him anything, and he would answer it at that point in time because he basically let her know. Mark Music is uh, the co-author, along with Doug Wellman, of Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes. Now the second edition is out. It first came out about six years ago. And in the second edition, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit later in the hour, uh, we'll reveal who the um, who the stand-in was. It wasn't Howard Hughes, according to their research, who, who died in 1976 after living like a hermit in the penthouse of the uh, the, the Desert Springs Inn. Is that is, is the Desert Springs Inn directly in Las Vegas, or is it in Henderson? Where is it, that hotel? Where was it? It was right on the Strip in Las Vegas. He owned about seven, six or seven different hotels there in Las Vegas, as well as an airport, as well as a TV station. Uh, he had quite a bit of property there in Las Vegas in the, in the uh, late 60s and into the 70s. And again, you were a, uh, a general in the Nebraska Air National Guard. Uh, when you first met Ava McClelland, uh, who married this man, Nick Nicoley, who turned out to be Howard Hughes. Uh, she married him in, back in 1970. And it wasn't until 70, it was five years later, he finally admitted, uh, who she, who he was. And did, did she, did she believe him immediately yeah. or did it take a while? Yeah. She said she knew it by then. She had figured it out because he had given her clues all the way along and she'd taken these things. Eva was a very, very smart lady. And she knew, kind of knew when to quit asking questions and when to quit bugging him and, and that type of thing. And so she put these things together. And so when he revealed it to her, she told me, I already knew it. I knew I already knew it was Howard Hughes. And where did they live in Alabama? It was in a, in a remote location, wasn't it? In Alabama, they, they, uh, they left Panama in the summer of uh, 72, and they moved to Arizona. 
and they lived in Arizona, several different places, uh, 72, 73, and 74. They left Arizona in about April of 74 and moved to uh, west of Troy, Alabama, which is, which is where Eva basically grew up uh, in Troy, Alabama. And then they, they moved and moved and moved and moved there uh, in Troy, Alabama, near Troy, Alabama, for about five or six years, and they finally ended up on a on a wooded property, uh, remote wooded property west of Troy, Alabama, about six or seven miles. And did he have uh, bodyguards? Did he have a, a staff with him, keeping an eye on him, or were they on their own? He had AIDS all the way along. Uh, he had AIDS when Eva first saw him in 1969. He had AIDS around him. She said he was always doing business. When they got married, he'd go out in the middle of the night and make his phone calls and do business. He always had people going along. And then when they moved into uh, Arizona, again, they had people there with him. When they moved to Alabama, again, they had people there. And the, there was these aides, there were three, three, usually two or three around them, uh, went into uh, Florida. They moved with them. They were always around. In fact, Eva uh, saw them. Eva said, can I, can I meet your friends? And Nick said, no, that's way too dangerous. You can't meet my friends. But they were always there. Sometimes her car would break down, and they'd be there to, to help her uh, with that breakdown. And then when, when the stand-in died in 1976, April 1978, they just disappeared. They were gone then at that point. So uh, in 1976, by this time, he's admitted to uh, – Howard Hughes is admitted to Eva, his wife, uh, that he is Howard Hughes. Uh, then the news comes on that uh, Howard Hughes died in 1976. So we need to talk about this stand-in. Uh, first of all, in 1970, Howard moves. To, Howard Hughes moves to uh, to Panama, and he, or at some point, he moves to Panama, and he meets Eva in 1970. So, um, had he? I mean, how long had be had be had he been plotting uh, this this scheme where he would have a stand-in? Um, that you know was later identified as Howard Hughes in 1976. Well, it all kind of begins in 1966 when he had he went to uh, from from Los Angeles to Boston to have what they call eye surgery for an eye problem, and that's when he had this. Uh, we think that's when he had this iris implant, and so he started changing his appearance in 1966. At that point, he was married to a lady named Jean Peters, and Jean Peters, according to the books never saw him after 1966. They were never, ever together hmm. uh, ever since. So he started this thing in then. And it's really about 1969 that this long-haired, long-fingernail guy really comes into play. And that's the same time that Howard now is moved on this other identity. So they throw this long-haired, long-fingernail guy in there just to add total confusion on what's really going on. Well, I mean, Howard did have idiosyncrasies, more hang-ups than a Christmas tree, as we used to like to say. Uh, and, and, of course, Eva uh, attested to that, and she left him on a number of occasions because of that, but they always got back together because they were in love. But, I mean, um, how much of that, you know, the germophobia and all of that, how much of that was actually Howard Hughes? Uh, he was definitely a germaphobe. Eva, Eva made comments to me about, you know, she would uh, feed him and give him the food off stainless steel plates and things like that. And as I would, as I was, uh, taking Eva around time, around town, if there was a, let's say we came to a parking lot and there was a 
you know, an oil spot on the street. Eva said, oh, don't step on that. Don't step on that. No, Nick said, never step on that oil spots. And so he was quite a germaphobe. He also wore gloves uh, virtually continuously. He wore gloves, I think, for several reasons. One, he'd leave more fingerprints that way. The other one, he was a germaphobe, and he didn't want to you know, touch all these things. And then his hands were also damaged in that in that aircraft accident in 1946. Right, right. He was flying an experimental aircraft, and his ha- his hands were damaged, and they were very, very tender. We we actually have a picture of. We didn't have a picture, um, this picture when the first book came out, but uh, shortly thereafter, a lady gave us a picture of of Howard of Nick in 1990, and he's in the uh, in the woods there in Alabama, and you can see his hands. It's a, it's a it's a close up picture, or fairly close, and you can see that his hands are discolored. His hands were um, uh, did they didn't look normal. Right. Okay. Now this stand in, whose idea was that? I mean, and and was Howard and what was Howard running away from? Howard had a, a I think it was Howard's idea just to cause confusion. Uh, he loved confusion. Eva would say. She just laugh and laugh and said he loved confusion. He threw confusion in everything that he did, and so to throw this uh, this uh, uh, other man into it was perfect because now you couldn't tell what the truth was. They actually set up meetings with him. Now, in some of the meetings that they set up, they had this screen in front of him, and so the person who was you know having a meeting with him would say, "Well, I met with Howard," and and but there was a screen, and I really couldn't couldn't get a clear picture of, of who he really was. Uh, other people said well, his breath was atrocious. You know, his breath was just absolutely atrocious. It'd knock you out. And so they'd, they'd have these uh, meetings with him to, again, cause more confusion of, of who really is Howard Hughes. And so you're saying the stand-in was occasionally the person that people would meet with, and uh, he would be he, he would hide behind this screen because what he didn't look a lot like Howard Hughes or I mean how closely did the stand-in resemble the real Howard Hughes? I think th- I think they were near the same height. Now what we have learned is that he's about he was about twenty years older. Uh, so the stand-in was about twenty years older than Howard. Right, right. And so that so they, there wasn't a uh, resemblance, but I think they were uh, near in height, and he knew. You know, he was a, he was a, a, he had some drug problems, but he knew he was being uh, taken care of uh, to be a to be an alternate for Howard. And and how did they find this person? How did they recruit him? Well, there's some, we're not we're not totally certain on that. There's several things we did learn that Howard uh, did have body doubles. Uh, he had body he had people who looked like him that he would send into meetings. Um, and so the media would say, well, look, at there's a, a fairly important meeting. There'd be Howard Hughes in the back of the room. <laughs> so there'd be a man who looked like Howard Hughes but wouldn't say anything, wouldn't make anything, make any comments, and, and, but it, it would be a body double of Howard. So Howard was doing this um, uh, mix-up for years and years. In fact, what we found out is that even in the 30s and 40s, he was using uh, alternate names. He was using other names that I don't know how he got them, but he was using names of actual people, we believe, um, and and he did that almost all through his life. Was it just a game? Was it just a game, or was he taking some precaution? Well, as it got later on, as it got later on, Howard was tremendously involved with the CIA. 
1968, there was a Soviet submarine that sank, and the CIA came to Howard and said, oh, would you help us raise this submarine? We want to, we want to uh, see what the encryption device is on it so we can see you know, what kind of equipment and read messages and all that type of thing. And that's right the time that Howard came up with this other identity was in 69. That's when they asked him. And he went and did it. He said, yeah, I'll do it. What we think, this is speculation, what we think he said was, I'll go raise that submarine, and he did. You get me another identity. And the other identity was uh, with a CIA gentleman. Uh, and there's things, there's indications that he was involved with the CIA. Uh, he controlled the CIA's communication satellites. Therefore, he could communicate with satellite phones. He could communicate without anybody tracing uh, his, his phone calls. Many of the books say they tried to trace his phone calls, could never, ever do it. Now it's, it's pretty clear that he was using CIA's communication satellites um, to communicate. So he had lots and lots of interaction uh, with the CIA, probably starting um, speculation in the early, early 50s, maybe even late 40s. Now, why, why the name Boxes? What does that signify, Mark? Eva McClelland, uh, as, I, as I worked this, this book with her for eight years, it took me four years to believe it, but Eva McClelland uh, lived basically out of boxes because they had to be able to leave. He really wouldn't let her unpack. And so she lived for uh, years out of boxes so that they could leave very, very quickly. And so she wanted it named Boxes because that's how she lived. Must have been very, very difficult for her, and she and she did leave him. How, on how many occasions did she leave Howard Hughes? Oh boy, there was times that he would just disappear, uh, and she didn't know where he went, and then he'd show up later on. But she would leave him. Uh, she left him at least three times for extended period of time: one nine months, one six months, one four months. And those were the times we found, as we put this together, is when is when Howard would have his meetings, or he'd go out and fly airplanes in England would be the times when they were separated. And so as we put this all together, uh, we found out, well, we actually found out that, uh, that um, uh, Eva left him, this was June of 72, and she moved to Arizona. And he shows up now in Arizona, and she intended to leave him for good because she just couldn't put up with him. She intended to leave him for good. Now, middle of July, Nick shows up in Arizona, and she says, well, what have you been doing? And he said, well, I had some business to attend to. <laughs> and as we put this together, I said, Eva, do you know what happened in June of 72? No, she didn't. I said, Watergate. And Hunt and Liddy, who were arrested for Watergate, were on the payroll of a guy named Robert Bennett, who worked for Howard Hughes. Ah. The office they went into met a gentleman named Larry O'Brien. Mm-hmm. He was also on the Howard Hughes payroll. So we have people on the Howard Hughes payroll going into an office on the Howard Hughes payroll. And you remember that 18-minute lapse in Richard Nixon's tape? Yes. According to H.R. Halterman, that was the Howard Hughes connection to Watergate. And that's why it could never, ever be, be released. It could never, ever be let out. Fascinating. Because we found out that Howard actually owned Nixon. He owned him flat out and wanted to do him in because Nixon, he wanted Nixon to stop nuclear testing in Nevada. And Nixon really didn't do that. Aha! Here's another chapter in history. Now, I have to ask you, um, why you? Why did she choose, why did Eva McClelland, the widow of Howard Hughes, 
choose you and Douglas Wellman to tell her story? Why didn't she take this to the, the New York Times or, I don't know, Harper? I, I You know, um, I guess uh, she trusted me. Uh, she liked my military background. I'm a retired major general. She liked my military background. But I think I think the big thing was um, I, I talked to her on the phone several times in 1999 and 2000, and she called me up one day and said, Mark, I need some help. And I said, okay, Eva, what is that? And she said, well, Nick came back, and they were living in these trailers that you had to go up about three or four steps to get up into the trailer. And she said, Nick's health is failing, his mobility's failing, he can hardly get up the stairs anymore. And I'm trying to get the VA. He was getting medical uh, help from the VA in Montgomery, Alabama. He was trying to get the VA to build a ramp, and and they were it wasn't going quick. And so I called up the head of the VA in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, made contact and requested this ramp to be built. And it got built. Uh-huh. Now whether whether I my input did anything, I don't know, but it got built. In fact, it's documented in his medical records from the. Uh, from the uh, VA, which we have. Uh, so it's documented in there. So I think Eva felt very comfortable with me at that point in time because I think she thought he helped me get this thing built and I was having problems getting it built. But he's Howard Hughes. He could just hire anybody he wants and, and have it built immediately, couldn't he? Uh, that, that, see, this, this rolls into uh, his money. You know, what happened to all of that money that he had? Because they weren't living in a, a high state there, what we found out was that was that Howard really wasn't a material man. Uh, he was the richest man in America, but he really wasn't a material man. He spent money on power. He bought power, and that's what he wanted. They had access to money, so if he wanted to buy something, he could just go buy it. So they had access to it, but uh, they were living basically on. She had a. She had a Social Security check coming in, and she had a retirement from the Civil Service coming in. Neither were very large, I suspect. And he he had a disability check coming in from the Air Force that Werner Nicely, the real Werner Nicely, earned that was coming to him. And and then and then he had a a checking account with the Chase Manhattan Bank. Um, that's what he bought. The diamond ring that he bought for her was a two-carat diamond ring when they got engaged, and he wrote a check from the Chase Manhattan Bank for that ring. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. 
There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. More of my conversation with Mark Music when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. It's the tea everyone is talking about, and nothing does what Life Change Tea does. Life Change Tea from GetTheTea.com leaves me feeling refreshed and healthy every day. Why not discover for yourself what this amazing line of organic, non-GMO, caffeine-free herbal tea can do for you? In fact, there's some great deals happening right now at GetTheTea.com, just in time for Christmas. Check this out. Buy two super teas and get one for free. This special includes three one-month supply packages of Super Strength Tea. That's eight tea bags per package. Start feeling rejuvenated right now. There's also a holiday special on my favorite, the Formula 13 Pomegranate Tea. Buy two, get one for free. Eight bags of tea yields four gallons, which lasts one month. And it's a new, stronger formula. The same strength cleanse as the Super Tea. These amazing herbal teas that provide a daily gentle cleanse are not available in any store. Go to GetTheTea.com. Use the code UNLIMITED to get free shipping on your first order. This Christmas, give the gift of health, happiness, and well-being at GetTheTea.com. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again. I don't know what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Mark Music, co-author of Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes, is here. Um, all right. Before we get into Bugsy Siegel, uh, I just want to back up. I don't know if, if you... Did you want to divulge who the stand-in is? Um, one of the stand-ins that we know is a man named Brooks Randall. Uh, Brooks Randall was a uh, was a uh, uh, actor. Uh, I don't know how good of an actor, uh, but he was an actor, and he looked like Howard. He resembled Howard Hughes in height and look and and uh, so forth. And we know uh, that has come to us uh, through a lady who knew Nick. And Nick told her that Brooks Randall was one of the um, people who they used as a stand-in for him. And so we're pretty certain on uh, that. We've tried to do some tracking on Brooks Randall and have had a, had a hard time uh, finding additional information on him. But we do know that, uh, according to this lady, who we'll talk a little bit more about later, she um, uh, gave us that name. And as you look at his picture, Brooks Randall's picture, uh, very, very close to Howard. And is he the one that actually died in 1976? Uh, we don't think that, no. We don't think he's actually one that died. Uh, the, he, he also told this lady that one of the stand-ins uh, was actually shot, uh, being a stand-in for Howard, and that became uh, the, you know, the man that died. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, there's so many things that were thrown into this that, that sometimes it reaches the point of you don't know what he made up and you don't know what the truth is. Now, the, the gentleman that died, um, pretending to be Howard Hughes, I mean, he was in horrible shape. I mean, was he being mistreated? No, actually, he was a, he was a drug addict, um, and what we've learned on him. Uh, he was actually treated uh, probably fairly well. He was, we think he was about 20 years older than Howard, and uh, he was kept, uh, you know, with food and with drugs uh, for, his, for his normal life, for his natural life, until he finally passed away 
in uh, in 1976. Um, but he in 1973 he was in a hotel in London. Uh, this was that tall, emaciated man, and he fell, and um, th- and he he fell, broke a hip, and the doctor came in and basically said, "Oh my God, this looks like a you know a pr- Japanese prisoner of war, 90 pounds, uh, couldn't talk." Uh, uh, um, was just uh, declared mentally incompetent at that point in time. Sad, sad physical shape. And, and the interesting thing is, uh, about six weeks prior to that, Howard Hughes, the real Howard Hughes, had flown a plane in England three times in June of seventy, June and July of seventy-three. He'd flown a plane in England three times, and the the, the pilot with him said, you know, this is a commanding man. He's a friendly man. And I, I don't mean flew in a plane. I mean he did touch and goes. He did landings and things like that in, in these planes. And so uh, that a- adds more to the mystery of, my goodness, what is really going on here? This can't possibly be the same man that we're talking about. Right. How many uh, how many people knew about the, the stand-in and that Howard Hughes was living um, with an alias? Uh, be, and this is prior to necessary, you know, maybe him meeting Eva. But did his, did his, did all of his staff know that the person that they were supposedly attending to wasn't Howard Hughes? No, no, no. I don't think so. When we put the first book out, we 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 deduced there was two doctors that knew about it, and there was uh, five or six aides, and there was the um, the supervisor of the aides. So we 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 figured there was you know eight or nine people uh, who knew about it at that point in time. And that's when we put the first book out. What we found out is that there are actually people visiting him. Uh, on He called it the ranch there in Alabama. Uh, he called the area the wooded property the ranch. And there were people who actually would come visit him, who were Howard Hughes' people. So there's several more people uh, that we uh, have deduced who also knew that he was alive because they were actually um, coming to uh, do business with him. In the, in the 80s and the 90s. Now, um, why would he complicate his his life by faking his death? Because now, with an alias, how does he access his money? How does he control his company? If he's no longer, if Howard Hughes is no longer alive legally, how does Howard Hughes now Nick Nickley control the empire? Well, we think we think he gave up control of the empire when 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 he when he died when the stand-in died. Uh, the empire and all of his businesses went elsewhere. That went elsewhere. But he still had uh, some money. Um, he, there was a there was a, uh, discussion over a will in 1977. It went, it went on for years. There's discussion over a will of did he have a will? Did he not have a will? And at that point in time, there were 30 people that came forward and says, "I've got the will of Howard Hughes." And of course, the courts ruled none of them. Uh, none of them are legit. And so uh, the money went to cousins, is where his money went to. What we think, what we believe, is that he had a what we'll call it. It's called the Mormon will. And what we think is that that is what he really wanted, because that gave a a large amount of money to the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. And you remember one of those doctors that we talked about who knew he was still, knew he was alive, right? Uh, he became a fairly high position in the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. Let's talk about uh, Bugsy Siegel, a mob- mobster who spent a lot of time in Las Vegas when Vegas was really run uh, by the mob. 
Uh, what's the story there? Was Howard Hughes involved in Bugsy Siegel's uh, death? Well, he was not directly involved, no, but there's an indirect uh, relationship here. And when we, when we uh, first put the book out, we thought there were no biological children. Uh, that's what history says. Howard Hughes had no biological children. Well, almost immediately, we had people started coming to us and said, well, I'm the biological child of Howard. One of these people was a man named John McDonald, and uh, he was born in 1942, and he was a very um, uh, you know, uh, quiet man. And, and um, he was very reluctant to tell us things. And then, and then uh, finally there was a book that came out, a gentleman named Warren Hull, called A Family Secrets, I think it's called. And it talks about John McDonald's family. And what we have, um, the, the, the bottom line story of this is that Howard was the father, the biological father of John McDonald. Now, the, John McDonald's father that he was living with uh, was a man named uh, Robert, uh, Robert McDonald. Bob McDonald, and uh, he was associated with the mafia. And he, uh, through make a long story short, um, his dad, uh, Robert McDonald, owed some money to the mafia. And they came to him and said, okay, here's the deal. Uh, we'll kill you. Uh, you can pay back the, 25, the, the, the money we owe you, which I think was $25,000. You can pay that back, or we got a job for you. And the job was to go kill Bugsy Siegel. And that's what he did. He went and he uh, killed uh, Bugsy Siegel. And this is all in a book, uh, Family Secrets, written by Warren Hull. And so... Um, so this was the, the adopted father or the stepdad of, of Howard Hughes' biological son, John McDonald. Yeah, this would be the father, the, uh, the man... His, the, the biological son that, that Howard, he was the family he was living with. Right, okay. The family he was living with. And uh, it, it's all uh, documented in the, in the book there in one chapter. If you look at John, we have pictures in there of John. And John McDonald uh, physically looks like Howard Hughes. We've got the pictures side by side, and it's kind of like, oh, my goodness. Right. You can hardly tell them apart. Have you had any, uh, speaking of which, have you had any photographic analysis done on uh, the, the photos of Nick Nickley uh, and Howard Hughes? We've had a, uh, um, the, 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 the original photos that we have of Nick in the first book is a man that's a long ways away. He never wanted his picture taken. Never want his picture taken. They're a long ways away. You cannot see facial characteristics and things like that until you blow them up. The picture that we did have in, uh, from 1990, which is a man standing in a, in a uh, wooded area with a, with a uh, 1950 oil riggers hat on and a beard. And um, uh, you look at that picture, and, and you can't see a whole lot, but you see the eyes. The eyes is what does it. So you take those, that picture of, of, of Nick there, and Howard had his last picture taken in about 1954, was his last picture. And it's a serious picture taken. And you look at the eyes in that picture, and they are the same. In fact, I took that picture, um, the one of, of Nick in 1990, I took that to a gentleman who knew um, Howard, and he actually traveled with Howard in the 80s. He said Howard didn't die. And, and I said, 
is this picture Howard Hughes? And he looked at it with a magnifying glass, and he said, uh, I'm 100% this picture's Howard Hughes. And I said, how? how? How can you do that? And he said, because Howard had surgery. Remember that surgery in yes. 1966? Howard had surgery to his eyes, and his right eye was slightly right. And he said, this man's right eye is slightly right. So Howard Hughes... Uh before he supposedly died in 1976, was never photographed again in public after 1954? Uh, correct. That is correct. There's one photograph we've seen, which was about 1958, which was just a snapshot type thing of him, uh, standing by an airplane, I think it was. But there's no official photograph taken of him after 1954. Like he really did not want a picture taken, and, and that picture thing went back even to the 30s. He didn't want his pictures taken at all. Uh, and and um, but uh, that there was there was taken a handsome man. He was a very very handsome. Yes, man. he was dashing. I think would be the term we used to use dashing. Yes. Uh, now, uh, I want to get to the JFK thing, but what, uh, something that leaps immediately to mind in terms of substantiating the story, and that is, uh, there must be DNA evidence all over uh, the trailer where they lived in in Alabama. Uh, was there ever any effort to find hair samples or something uh, that would um, provide DNA evidence to com- you know to compare with the real Howard Hughes? Boy, I wish we worked DNA for about six years on this. Uh, we had five items from the ranch that we thought would yield DNA, and none of them yielded DNA. Uh, not one of them. And um, uh, and I worked with a DNA expert for about six years on this thing. And we had, you know, hair, but the hair didn't have a, uh, a root to it, didn't have a follicle to it. Now, the interesting thing about it is when I went back to the ranch, after I put the, took the original, uh, you know, those original five, six items, after I went back to the ranch, the ranch had been cleaned. All the things that were, that were there that I thought would yield DNA were gone. Hmm. And they even removed the sinks. Interesting. They even removed the sinks. And, and so everything, and, and the gentleman that I worked with said, this man knew how to hide, and, and you know, he wanted to hide, and he knew how to do it. They said he had help in, in hiding. How about handwriting analysis? There must have been samples of handwriting. Did he write notes to Eva? He did. Uh, we've got that. We've got some notes that he wrote to Eva. They do not match. They do not match Howard Hughes' handwriting. And I believe uh, Howard Hughes never wrote what I think he did. I think someone wrote everything that he uh, that he needed write, written. And the reason why I say that is because his uh, his uh, spelling was atrocious. Uh, Eva would say his, he only had about eighth grade education, and she said his spelling was absolutely atrocious. And that's why we believe that uh, much of the writing that Howard Hughes has is. Uh, is, um, he dictated uh, it, it. Doesn't match. Right. He just dictated it to somebody. Yeah. So, he dictated it doesn't match. in in lieu of of DNA evidence, in lieu of you know handwriting samples, uh, I mean, isn't this just Eva McClellan's story? I mean, what what other tangible evidence? I mean, you have you know other people who worked with him and corroborate it, but is there any other physical evidence that this that Nick Nickley was in fact Howard Hughes? We've got uh, we've got th- those pictures, and we've, there are facial characteristics on the pictures after you blow them up. That it's him. Uh, his height, uh, his height was six foot four. Uh, he had a very rounded head. 
Uh, Nick had a very, very rounded head. Uh, Nick's feet were burned and his hands were burned. Uh, people said his feet were burned much worse than his hands were burned. He told uh, a lady that he was involved with an aircraft accident, mm. and uh, she really didn't believe him. He told a lady, I'm Howard Hughes. Uh, she really didn't know what to believe at that point. And so there's a, there was a lady that came forward to us who knew them in 81 through 84. And she was a student at Troy University. And she got to know them very, very well. And, uh, and he told her, I'm Howard Hughes. He told her who he worked with. Uh, he told her names. Um, he told her all kind of things about Watergate. Uh, he told her about the Kennedy assassination. Um, he told her about um, uh, travels that he did. People came to visit him where Howard Hughes' people. She would pick up uh, packages from the post office, and they were from the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. Uh, she would deliver postcards that he wanted to go out, and they were to Howard Hughes' people. So, uh, let's just talk. Uh, uh, spend a few moments talking about uh, the possible connection between Howard Hughes and the assassination of JFK. Okay. All right, what we've got there is this lady who was a student in 1981 through 84. Uh, Howard uh, basically told her that uh, the JFK assassination, this is in the second book, was done by uh, the mafia. Uh, Frankie and Johnny, who he said it was, Frankie and Johnny. Uh, he let know Frank, Johnny is, is a gentleman named Johnny Roselli. Right, from the Sam Giancani gang in Chicago. Correct. And, and Frank, actually, Nic- Frank Nicoletti, isn't it? I don't know who Frank is. I think that's Frank Nicoletti. See, we don't, we never, we could never figure that out who Frank is. But Johnny, because Johnny, remember uh, uh, John McDonald's dad, uh, yes. Robert, uh, at their house. This would be in the forties. Uh, Howard Hughes would come and, and eat meals with them, and also Johnny Roselli, because his dad was associated with the mafia. Johnny Roselli would come and, and socialize with him and have meals with him, too. So now we got in the 40s, we've got Nick, whose son is living, biological son is living in this house. Uh, he's coming and socializing with him, and, uh, and also the mafia is socializing with him. So we got a, a tremendous linkage to, between Howard and the mafia a trace that goes back to the 40s. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. That, I, I was mistaken. It wasn't Frank Nicoletti. It was, that was Charles or Chucky. Uh, Nicoletti. So I'm not sure who Frankie was, but uh, um, fascinating, fascinating chapter. Now, is it has any consideration been given to exhuming Nick Nickley's body? Is that is that possible? And and then comparing again the DNA. Okay, Nick Nickley, um, Howard uh, Howard Hughes uh, was cremated. Ah. And so, uh, because you, I wish, I wish, I wish we could get something out of that, but we're not getting any DNA out of that. And so, um, uh, he was cremated at that point, and that's all part of the story. Is Eva asked me to go help spread the ashes, and so uh, I went and helped her spread the ashes at the Navarro Beach in Florida, where they lived uh, for about six months uh, on the beach there, and they both enjoyed that very much. The aides were right behind them. Uh, in this in this uh, beach house that they're living in, and so uh, he's there now. The stand-in, uh, supposedly, you know, and I don't know if the stand-in's still there or not, uh, would would be buried in Houston uh, at the cemetery there in Houston, in between the parents. Um, 
you know, someone wants to exhume that, that's fine. I'm not going to press that. Um, the, uh, I, I, will, I will go out on a limb and say that stand-in's DNA will never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever match the two parents in that gravesite. It will never match. If the stand-in's even there, someone even came to me and said, well, I, I doubt if the stand-in's even there anymore. They've probably taken him out and put him someplace else. Howard Hughes, he was truly the disappearing man, wasn't he? He would uh, he would disappear, and he did it even from the 30s. Uh, there's people who interacted with him in the 30s and 40s, and he would just uh, disappear. And then Eva would have, uh, uh, you know, he'd disappear for, when they first met in 1969, uh, he disappeared then for December 69 and January 70. He just disappeared. And he came back in February of 70. And Eva did not know him very well then. But she said, well, well, where have you been? And he said, well, I, I had some business to attend to in the States. <laughs> well, he, and he disappeared for good in 1976 and for right. the next 25 years. And uh, he didn't make it easy for you to piece this together either. Uh, Mark Music, a fascinating chapter in, uh, in history. And I thank you for bringing this to the fore, both uh, you and Douglas Wellman. Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes. Thank you so much, Mark. Richard, thank you. This has been fun. My pleasure. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash with a few words about an upcoming episode. Have you subscribed to my free monthly newsletter yet? The Inner Sanctum is jam-packed with news and information, and it's delivered free to your email inbox once a month. All you need to do is register your name and email address at my website, strangeplanet.ca. The Inner Sanctum contains a spotlight on previous guests from my weekly radio program and this podcast. There is my podcast pick of the month, a book club, a This Month in Conspiracy History section, and more. The Inner Sanctum is yours, absolutely free. Again, all you need to do is register at strangeplanet.ca. And once you've registered, your name automatically goes into a monthly draw for great Strange Planet gear for my Strange Planet shop. Register right now at strangeplanet.ca. Coming up next time, Ed Haslam recounts the grisly homicide of Dr. Mary Sherman in New Orleans in 1964 and her connections to Lee Harvey Oswald, the mafia, the JFK assassination, and to forces high inside the U.S. government. What they told the public was that Mary Sherman was naked and she had been stabbed seven or eight times by an intruder and burglary was suspected and, oh, and her body was set on fire. What they didn't tell the public was that her entire right arm and ribcage had been disintegrated by heat. I mean, there was nothing in her apartment on fire except the mattress. This is a mattress fire, and mattress fires just don't disintegrate bones. They're not nearly hot enough. And as you look at the photos, you can see this very clearly. It's also written very clearly in the autopsy report. Her entire right arm and ribcage are gone. You can stand there and see the internal organs of her body because the heat was so extreme. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. 
Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.